This podcast is brought to you by the Creation Academy, an apologetics learning experience designed to teach, train, and inspire others to become strong defenders of the creation account presented in the Bible. Primarily, the Academy offers video and audio courses with downloadable PDF workbooks taught by a team of experienced creation researchers. But members of our exclusive Creation All Access program will also have access to expert interviews and Q&A sessions with creation scientists and apologists, all inside a private Facebook group where you'll fellowship and interact with a like-minded community of believers. We're excited to announce that enrollment is now open. The Academy does not officially launch until March 2019, but until then, you can get into Creation All Access for just $7 per month while we're adding new course material. Join today by going to www.creationcourses.com and clicking on Enroll Now. You're listening to the Steve Schramm Show, where we train Christians to become confident, passionate servants of Jesus so they can grow in their walk with God and share their faith more persuasively. Hope you're doing well this morning. want to uh, really equip you, give you some good biblical information this morning to help you do those very things. Hope you um, will remember what we took some time last week to tell you uh, about the uh, developments that are taking place uh, in the Creation Academy. And of course, if you heard the intro again on that, uh, you know what's going on there. So we're excited. Um, Go ahead and jump into the Creation Academy. Uh, Just go to creationcourses.com. You can go ahead and get enrolled. Um, You have a limited time uh, to enroll in the Creation All Access Pass, and you can get it in that for just $7 per month. And as far as I'm concerned, um, once you're in it for that price, you're in it for that price. Uh, That is never going to go up on you, so that's going to be a great deal because that is going to be going up for new enrollees um, come March 2019. So go ahead and jump into that. I'd encourage you to do that uh, so that you're not behind. Uh, As we're adding new courses, you can go ahead and start diving into the material right away. So encourage you to to do that. Well, if you don't even know what I'm talking about, um, go ahead and listen to Last week's uh, lesson, it was part two of our How to Love God series. We talked a little bit about that um, last week to, to kind of explain how things were going. So we're really, really excited about uh, this new creation learning experience that we've been working very hard on for quite some time now. And excited to see uh, that finally beginning to come to fruition. So we're not totally there yet, but we're uh, we're working on it. Well, hey, I'll tell you, let's let's dive right in because we spent nearly 20 minutes last week talking about this. We certainly don't need to reinvent the wheel. I want to get right into the subject matter of this week's lesson. We're talking about the um, um, uh, how to love God. And this originally started as just a Sunday school class that I had put together, Sunday school lesson. And uh, it's uh, it really evolved, uh, to use um, controversial terminology, into a three-part series here on uh, the podcast. And so that's really exciting uh, to get to teach this. Um, and so the first lesson, we kind of talked about the word love, 
Um, we're looking in Luke 10, by the way, if you uh, are, are sitting down to listen to this and you can uh, follow along uh, in your Bible, feel free to do that. We're in Luke 10, and we've been looking at verses 23 to 27 and 28, um, and looking in that area, and we find Jesus in this circumstance where he is conversing with this um, lawyer, uh, of course, a lawyer in in this context is a mosaic lawyer. That is, he is somebody who's skilled, well-versed in the law of Moses, and so he is um, uh, aware of what the law says. Uh, This is a Pharisee type, uh, the kind that uh, makes very much of their uh, study, and so he uh, comes out and says, "Well, well, look. I mean, the 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 scriptures are clear. We ought to love uh, God with all of our hearts, with all of our uh, soul, with all of our strength, and with all of our mind." And Jesus affirms this. Jesus says, yes, you are exactly right. Uh, This is exactly what the Bible teaches. Now, of course, there's other things going on in context there. Uh, That's not the point of the passage, in other words, but that's not... um, that's not what we're focusing on. What we're focusing on is the actual instruction. Um, what it means to love God. How do you love God in that context? So in the first lesson, we talked about that. We talked about um, a, a little bit about the nature of God and the nature of man. Um, we talked a little bit about how uh, Christ is the foremost interpreter of the law. So you can be sure that uh, Christ understands the law better than you or me or anybody else uh, for that matter. And so he has got this definition right. And I think there's more to it. That's really the premise of this whole thing. I, I think that uh, when you say that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all of your mind, I think it's easy to look at those terms and say, well, I, I guess he's just saying to, to love uh, him, to love God with everything you have, with everything that you are. And there's a sense in which that may be true. However, I think saying it like that doesn't quite um, accomplish the, the, the breadth and the depth of uh, of loving God. In other words, I think it's said this way for some very particular reasons. I think that there is something to it. I think that there's something about the nature of God in play here and something about the nature of man. And so if you recall, we talked a little bit about how uh, what it what it means to be made in the image of God and how God made us in his image and how it is by that very fact that we are even able to love God in any meaningful sense. And so we talked about that a couple weeks ago and also talked about the word love that is in use in this particular uh, verse. And in this particular verse, it is the Greek word agapao, agapao. And we talked about the four definitions of love um, in the Greek and talked a little bit about how this sort of love is used in the biblical sense. And, and last week, we uh, again, we took a few minutes uh, to talk about recent developments in the Creation Academy at the top of the show. And then we looked at how to love God with all your heart. 
We looked at that first kind of premise. We talked about what the heart is in the biblical sense of the term. We looked at the uh, biblical facts about the heart to see what the Bible had to say um, about our heart and about the condition of our heart. And we kind of brought that back around to how we can use that particular part of our being, our, our heart, biblically speaking, to love God. So today we want to move on. I don't know how far we'll go. Uh, Conceivably, I would like to be able to get finished with the last three, the soul, the strength, and the mind, but that might not be realistic. To be honest, they might end up being their whole um, lesson. So uh, I don't know. Um, We're just going to take off from here and see where the Lord leads and uh, have a good time together uh, studying the Bible this morning. All right, so then the next thing we want to begin to look at, the next part of this, is how do we love God with all of our soul? So the instruction biblically is love the Lord your God with all of your soul. What is the soul? What makes it distinct from the heart. Well, again, when we looked at the heart, we saw some aspects of the biblical usage that um, speak to uh, a, a sense of inner self, a sense of emotive will, if you will. Um, and again, we, we did see how also, specifically the Bible draws our, our a parallel between our heart and what we are most interested in, or what we most treasure, to use the biblical language found in verses like Matthew 6, 33. So there's a distinction to be drawn here. Now this word, soul, this is the Greek word, suki, suki, okay? Now this corresponds pretty much exactly to the Hebrew usage of the word nephesh. Now those of you who've been following this podcast for a long time know we talk a lot about creation. In fact, this podcast used to be called the Creation Academy. Of course, we've now uh, used that name solely for the for the uh, learning experience that we've put together. Uh, but, but this podcast used to be called the Creation Academy, and so 60-something episodes were all about creation and nothing else. So uh, we still talk to be honest, mostly about creation. I just wanted to start expanding into some different uh, areas of subject matter as well. The kinds of things that I cover on my blog at steveshram.com. And so uh, just a quick history lesson there for you, okay? I uh, I decided to expand by making this the Steve Shram Show. And then we, we teach the advanced creation learning uh, in the Creation Academy. Uh, so, uh, but, but those of you who are familiar with this, the reason I said that is this Hebrew word nefesh often comes up in the topic of origins. And the reason it does is because we find that when God breathed into Adam the breath of life, this is what it's talking about. This Hebrew nefesh and um, nefesh hayam is kind of completes the thought. And what this is referring to is... Um, there are certain kinds of life that have um, uh, this element of being, okay, that 
that could be considered alive. Uh, sometimes we could say alive in a biblical sense. Um, let, let me give you an example, okay? Um, crickets are alive in a biological sense. Um, but I don't think you can make the argument that crickets are alive in the in the biblical sense, okay? Um, now, let me make a careful distinction there. I, I'm, I'm, of course, not saying that the Bible teaches that crickets are, are, are not alive. That's not at all what I'm trying to say, okay? What I'm trying to say is that the Bible speaks about a very specific kind of of life. The Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. Certain animals have, and certain, uh, well, humans, of course, and certain animals also have what is called the breath of life. Um, how you could correspond this to a modern day understanding, especially scientifically, you know, might be tricky because there's philosophical things at play there as to what kinds of organisms have consciousness, etc. Uh, but some of that, believe it or not, we believe could be deduced uh, from the biblical information. And so anytime you have anything that is referred to as a nephesh uh, kind of creature, uh, I think it's pretty safe to assume that this is the kind of thing that has confidence. And it's the same thing with this Greek, or excuse me, consciousness. And it, this is the same kind of thing going on here with the Greek word suki. It, it essentially just means um, breath of life. And let's just read Genesis 2 7. It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Now, what I wanted to get to here is, if you notice in the Bible, the same term is used of sea creatures. That's Genesis one twenty, livestock, cattle, and other um, um, vertebrates. I said cattle, livestock, cattle, and other vertebrates. Um, Genesis one twenty four. Organisms whose life is in the blood, Genesis 9-4, uh, and of course humans, which is again in Genesis uh, chapter 2 and verse number 7. And so one of the things that we always talk about uh, from a biblical, uh, from a you know creation perspective is what kinds of things uh, were subject to death um, after the fall. In other words, uh, is it okay that likely, um, almost um, without contest, there were you know b bugs in the garden that were stepped on? There, you know, did, could a cricket die before the fall and that be considered death um, uh, before sin? And so we have a strong belief here on this show that there could not have been any death of the nephesh life before sin entered the world. We, we've done some podcasts on that. I will um, link those, uh, uh, link you to those in the show notes. Uh, we did a whole series on creation and predation, and we answered tough questions like this about what kind of things uh, would, would be considered, and this is why I make the careful distinction, alive in the biblical sense, because there are, I believe the Bible allows for certain kinds of death, such as plant death, such as um, probably most invertebrates, um, 
kind of death. Um, these things were probably perfectly fine before the fall. And again, I, I'm not going to go into all of my reasoning and rationale there. I spent three episodes carefully going through um, some organized thoughts on that. So hopefully you'll go back and check those out. And again, I'll link you to them in the show notes. But um, but that's why it's important to make a careful distinction what exactly it means for there to be uh, life. Now, you, made in the image of God, have this kind of life. So congratulations, you made the cut. But I want you to think about this. Just Just reflect on this for just a moment. What do you think it means to have a soul? What do you think it means to have a soul? Here's something I want to give you. Another question and to, to kind of see what I'm getting at. Are you a necessary being or are you a contingent being? Are you a necessary being or are you a contingent being? One of the philosophical arguments for God, uh, premise one of that argument kind of uh, says that everything that exists either exists um, as a result of something else that exists. In other words, it's contingent. It didn't have to exist. It was caused. It's a result of something else that exists or by necessity of its own nature. So we believe, as we talked about in the first lesson of this series, that God is a metaphysically necessary being. In other words, without God, nothing else. That's a pretty simple way to put it. Without God, nothing else. There just is nothing else if there is no God. Now, what I mean in making the necessary versus contingent distinction is it's not necessary that there's something else in virtue of the fact that there is God. Those things are contingent. But God is necessary. He is a necessary being. The world that we live in, none of it would be possible were it not for the prior existence of God. And for you theology nerds or for you um uh, folks who want to become a theology nerd, this is a uh, aspect of God known as his divi- uh, divine aseity, his divine aseity. And if you want to learn more about that, you can check out the works of Dr. William Lane Craig. He's done a bunch of great work on divine aseity or the uh, eternal necessary existence of God would be another way to put that. Now, obviously, you and me, we are not necessary beings. So what does that mean? Why, why does that matter? Well, because I think it's an interesting thing to think about, and this might be the philosophy nerd coming out in me, but I think it's interesting to think about that. We're not necessary. We are not needed. There, there's, there, we serve no necessary purpose. We do not have to be here. We are privileged to be here. Not only that, but we're privileged to have the kinds of capacities required in order to have fellowship and communion with the one who created us. 
And that's what it means to me. Again, this is kind of an open-ended question. I asked you, what do you think it means to have a soul? To me, that's what it means to have a soul. It means to exist in such a way that we can have a meaningful relationship with the one who created us. Um, now, how far do we take that illustration? Uh, because, in other words, do we want to say that uh, my dogs, who are alive in the biblical sense, do we want to say that they get to have a meaningful relationship with our creator? You know, um, this is an interesting question worth exploring. I, 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 I mean, it's obvious to me that they can't have communion in the way that we can have communion. That is something special. Okay, this, uh, and this is the purpose. Just hang with me. This is why I'm teaching you about the four different aspects that we find in this verse. They mean different things. Words have meanings, all right? Um, if you couldn't know the objective meaning of a word, then you couldn't know anything that anyone was saying. So the, the purpose of going through these is because I want to show you how distinct it is to say that we can have a relationship with God, but um, uh, do animals have some kind of divine awareness? Well, for one thing, we know that there is interaction at some level between um, humans, or uh, excuse me, not between humans, uh, but between God and animals. We realize this because God uses animals to accomplish his purposes all throughout the Bible. All throughout the Bible we find this. We even find in one instance of him making a donkey talk. You say, I don't believe in that talking donkey mess. Uh, I do. Balaam's donkey talked. I hate to tell you. It's in the Word. It's right there. Um, we could talk about that sometime. I believe in talking donkeys. <laughs> At least that one. Okay. So, um, not afraid to talk about that. Uh, so it's obvious to me that there is a level of communication that can happen there. And by the way, just to use another illustration of that, can humans who are endowed with the image of God have a meaningful relationship with animals? Now, that's a good question. Uh, some on uh, in that debate would say that the meaning is only on the human side of things, that there is no meaning, it, it, you know, uh, th that the animals have no meaning. Now, there are others that would say that, that, that yes, there is meaningfulness to uh, animals. You can have a meaningful relationship with some forms of animals. There is a mutual trust, mutual respect. There is a, a language that can be developed to communicate. How do you think police dogs work so well? Um, why do you think humans and uh, uh, certain um, other kinds of hominids can interact so well with special kinds of training? Even whales and things like that. If you've ever been to SeaWorld, at least back in the day when they were still, well, and of course they're still interacting with them at a training level. So, um, the point I want to make is there, uh, this this fact of having a soul is related to being, okay? It's, it's life. It's the breath of life. It is the kinds of things that are um, alive in the biblical sense. And I, I, we are one of those 
kinds of things, but I thought it would be instructive to look at how, in fact, we're not the only one of those kinds of things. Now, uh, what we talked about last week, the heart, uh, most definitely, we are the only kinds of beings that have a heart in that um, in that sense. Uh, I, I think there is absolutely zero evidence, as much as you would like to believe that your googly-eyed dog loves you, I think there is probably zero evidence that you could say that your that your dog uh, feels an emotion of love toward you. There might be this emotion of or, or, or this this sense of uh, of trust, but I don't think you can have. Uh, biblically speaking, a loving relationship from an animal to a human kind of thing, okay? And so that's something that's going to be specifically reserved for humanity. But the soul here, the breath of life, is not necessarily reserved for humanity. Can an animal, and we're just asking some interesting questions here for reflection, all right? I I want to help you think through these things. Can an animal love the Lord their God with all of their soul? I don't know, but I do know, uh, oh, maybe here's another way of asking this. This is interesting. Do the animals have an awareness of their creator? Well, certainly Balaam's donkey had an awareness of of her creator. Uh, anyway, I don't want to get too off on a tangent, but these are, these are interesting questions, things that are fun to talk about and fun uh, to think about, and certainly I think they have some good answers as well. Um, so to me, this is what it means to have a soul. Now, I don't want to get into the whole thing on the soul versus spirit. There are some different arguments thrown around there. Some argue that these are just the same exact thing. I personally, my view is that the Bible does make a distinction Um I'm of the opinion that the soul and the spirit are distinct. Um, one writer says uh, the uh, the soul is the essence of humanity's being. It is who we are. The spirit is the immaterial part of humanity that connects with God. Uh, I, I tend, you know, I tend to resonate with that kind of distinction. Um, you know, again, because I think that. One of the reasons I think that is because it's clear to me that biblically, um, humans and animals can have a soul, but the usages of the word spirit that we find all throughout the Bible, we find usages of it that do not uh, fit into something that we think an animal would have uh, the kind of capacity that an animal would be able to connect with God on that level. So um, I'm willing to have my mind changed on that. Currently, um, I'm of the opinion that, uh, at least biblically speaking, they are distinct. All right, so what about the soul as a gift from God? The soul as a gift from God. Because that's where we are, right? We, we've reflected on this. What does it mean to have a soul? I think that we've uh, we've looked at these concepts of necessity versus contingency. It's apparent to me that uh, we are not necessary beings. We are merely contingent beings. God did not have to make anything, let alone you and me. You might say, as, um, as many very flippantly, unfortunately, tend to say, life is a gift. Life is a gift. We take that 
for granted. My, do we really understand, though, what that means? Life is a gift, indeed. Life is a great gift. And in fact, you know, despite all of our amazing scientific advancements and discoveries, life itself is one of secularism's, um, quote, unsolved mysteries. It really is. Uh, you ask any biologist to give you a definition of life, and if they're worth their salt, they're probably going to start by saying, "Oh, it's complicated." And this is this is true. Now, again, I think from a, a theological perspective, we can come up with a good definition of life. I think we've already uh, done that. Right, but it's harder actually to define life in the biological world than you would think. And of course, um, there's zero data when it comes to how life got started from a secular viewpoint. There just is no answer to that question right now at all. You could probably formulate a vague um, understanding of what is life, but that's one of the toughest questions to answer, believe it or not, for biology. And of course, biology is the study of life, which is so interesting to me. Uh, it's just one of these unsolved mysteries. And of course, the origin of life even worse. Um, so we, we need to understand that God is the creator of life. He is the giver of life. Um, and, and this is why it's so uh, important to have a theology where God is sovereign. God is, um, he is, again, the only metaphysically necessary being, but he is responsible for all other, um, for the creation of all other things. All other things exist only uh, because of him. If you look in Revelation 4.11, it talks a little bit about why that is. I think uh, the prophet Isaiah also comments on this, but essentially, we could say that everything was created for his glory. Uh that that's as simple as it as it gets. Uh, I've heard some, um, you know, philosophically inclined apologists argue along the lines that basically, uh, you know, God creating us was for our benefit. Obviously, God did not need us, and so God created us for our benefit that we may share in uh, the loving relationship that the Trinity shares. C.S. Lewis commented on this, talked about us uh, partaking in what he called the divine dance. I read a book on this not long ago uh, called Union with Christ by Rankin Wilborn, which was an excellent, excellent book, uh, just absolutely incredible book on uh, on what it means to be united to Christ, uh, what it means to live in Christ and Christ in you, to use some of the Apostle Paul's terminology. And uh, just really some amazing thoughts uh, to think that we are created for that kind of purpose, to be a, uh, a bride for the Lamb. That's, that's our purpose, and to glorify God in the process. Um, and, and so what's really, really interesting here is that... Uh, this thing about life, as much as we in our humanity want to make it about us, we want to um, 
some people want to put us on a pedestal. We are supposedly the ultimate grand creation of life. Uh, folks have written uh, books about convergence and evolution that basically, uh, we talked about this on a podcast a few episodes ago uh, with Josh Shoemaker and Gary Brannis on God in the World of Insects. If you remember, uh, Josh Shoemaker mentioned an individual who wrote a book on convergence in um, evolution and said that the outcome, the result, inevitably of evolution, if it were the case, would be something like us, a human. And so we want to place ourselves really on this pedestal as the apex of creation. And we realize even that biblically speaking, we are the biblical apex of creation. But the problem is it doesn't stop with us. It stops with God. Because we ultimately are contingent. Life is a gift. If you really begin to understand the gravity of that and what that means for the way your life is to be lived, it changes everything. And I had to get I had to go on so many tangents, but this is why when people tell me that atheism is just a lack of a belief in God and their belief their lack of belief in God does nothing to alter the way that they live their lives, um I, I call shenanigans on that. That's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. Aside, aside from the question of, uh, uh, of what the actual definition of atheism is, what do you mean you wouldn't live life any differently if there, if you were convinced there was a God, or um, if 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 God has entered into your life and saved your soul? Any person who has been saved knows that you live one hundred percent differently. You are a new creation, the Bible says, when you have the awareness of God. Don't tell me that if you do not have um, a, some kind of a conscious forefront awareness of God, whereby you're trying to live a spiritual life that is pleasing to Him and He has saved you and you're aware of that, don't tell me that you wouldn't be a different person. Now, I realize I don't know. I realize they, they don't really understand that. But I guess you kind of see from my angle where I'm coming from as a person who has been converted, who lives with that constant awareness of God in the forefront of my mind. I haven't suppressed it. It's right there. Everything I do, I see God everywhere in everything that I do, in every place that I go. Um, he's with me all the time, and I realize this, and I'm sure you do as well. At least I hope you do. Um so you see what I'm saying that there there there's a completely different way of living that is associated with uh, with recognizing that awareness of God. Maybe that's a good way to put it. All right, it's a gift. Life is a gift. Now consider that God has power over the soul. Now see, this is what they don't like, right? Because if there is a giver of life. There can also, I guess, you know, to put it in uh, in crude terms, there can be a taker of life. Uh, I suppose we all remember our parents, at least at some point, telling us, I brought you into this world, and I can take you out of it. You ever remember hearing that? I've heard that once or twice. And the thing is that you have to remember here that there's a sense in which I mean, that's not really true, <laughs> coming from a parental perspective, at least not legally and ethically. But sure enough, and maybe we'll talk about this sometime, uh, sure enough, uh, legally and ethically, there would be nothing wrong with God creating a life and taking a life 
something that he created. That's what the Apostle Job's reflection was. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Bible talks about the fact that all souls are his. You can't get much clearer than this. Ezekiel 18.4, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. And the soul that sinneth, it shall die. God can give life, and God can take life. Matthew 10.28 says this, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Hey, I mean, that's pretty tough teaching, but it's true. If God gives life, God can take life. The creator of the painting is the only one who can ethically destroy the painting. For somebody else to destroy it, it would be um, the destruction of somebody else's property. We recognize that this is something that would be unethical, but... There's nothing wrong, nothing unjustified about the creator being also the destroyer. God is the creator of the soul. Thus, he is able to kill the soul and destroy both body and soul and hell. All right? Uh, the soul is our greatest treasure. Matthew 16, 26. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. Or what shall a man give in exchange for a soul? Of course, the answer to the rhetorical question is nothing. Your soul is the, is the greatest treasure that you possess, your life. There is no greater treasure nor gift that you've been given than to have life to be able to serve God with that life. And so to lose that, obviously, would be tragic. God restores broken souls. Psalms 23, in verse number 3, He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. God saves and redeems sinful souls. Acts 2.41 Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and at the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Amen. Man, man, what a, what a joy that God can take the most sinful person and turn him into a son of God. This is the miracle. I mean, you've heard people say, I guess some people say it kind of casually, but um, man, the depth. Perhaps the greatest miracle there is, maybe even aside from creation. You know, maybe creation is the first great miracle. And the second great miracle is the fact that God can reconcile a soul to himself. That he can change a wicked sinner's heart creating them a clean heart and change them into a new person. The Apostle Paul talks about all things are passed away and behold, um, old things are passed away, behold, all things become new. We are a new creature or a new creation. And that is an exciting thought. God can take this soul that he has created 
even though in what we talked about last week, I believe is our um, our measure of free will to disobey and live in a way that is not in accordance with God's design for us. Um, we see that God can take that and reconcile that to himself. And so thus, in that sense, we are given life twice. God alone can give life, remember, because of this. He's pre-existing. He's the transcendent creator. Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things. By him, all things consist. John 1, 1 talks about being uh, Jesus being in the beginning. In the beginning was the Logos, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I love this verse, and we're going to close with this, this thought here. We love God in the sense of the soul with all of our lives. This, uh, perhaps more than any other of the concepts that we're talking about in this series. This particular understanding carries, I think, most of the idea of loving God with all of our lives. We love him in this sense with our with our life, with our very state of being. First John 4, 16 through 19, I'd like to read this passage for you. It says this, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love, get this, dwelleth in God. And God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, listen to this, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. I love that first line. That, verse 16 there. We have known and believed the love that God hath to us. Man, what, what an awareness of being alive in the biblical sense and being loved by God. And he, in his love and our uh, his being in us and our being in him, he has made our love perfect. We can have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Man, what an exciting thought. Life from God is a gift. And thus, we love him because he first loved us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. I want to say we appreciate the ability, Lord, that you've given us, the capacity, Lord, that you've given us to love us. And Lord, uh, for as we've talked about today, Lord, the, just the ability um, to exist, to be alive, uh, is a wonderful, wonderful gift. And so many say that without having any earthly idea or heavenly idea of what it means to really and truly be alive, 
to be created in the image of the one true, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, ever-present, everywhere-present creator. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, I appreciate you spending a few minutes with me this morning uh, here on the Steve Stram Show. It's been a, a pleasure to, to come to you again one more time. And uh, hey, uh, if, if you haven't yet, head over to steveschramcom slash defend. steveschramcom slash defend. If you don't know much about me, much about our ministry, this is not only a great way to learn a little bit about us, but for us to be able to serve you uh, f- for about a week or so, we're going to send you. Um, some emails that is going to walk you through a course that I wrote specifically for how to get started defending your faith with confidence. I talk about the four things that uh, are some of the toughest objections and things that need to be dealt with, um, things that you need to learn in order to become a better defender for Christ. steveschramcom slash defend. Go ahead and get signed up for that. All right. Um, Hey, love you guys. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. And uh, we'll see you next week right here on the Steve Stram Show. God bless. Bye-bye.